Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Telling everybody everything is canceled from the office. Telling everybody everything from the guest room is reborn. I hope it sounds okay in here. And I'm very glad to have you joining me again what's been going on in the world. Well, if you don't live in the UK, then you may not know that our fab, totally in touch with the people government, has done this crazy uh, grading system thing for people going to university. All right, I have tried to understand this shit, but you know, this is a lesson. When you are arguing in the street, perhaps with a partner or other idiot, You can't reason with the unreasonable, so don't try. Someone unreasonable is always going to be unreasonable, and when you try to apply your own rational logic to that, you are just going to sound like a fool yourself. And this is what's happening with the grading system. So there's some type of algorithm that the government is using to take the grades that you got on your mock exams, which is like a practice exam, and the grades that were projected for you, And they apply this algorithm to your postcode or like whatever school you went to. And if it turns out that your school, I think, uh, performs lower or is like an easier school, then your grade gets put down. And if you went to a private school or a school that performs well, then your grades went up. So the grading system here is like, I don't understand, A, B, C, D, E, U, there's a U somewhere. Let's say you are a brilliant young man from a state school where they've decided to put your grades down based on postcode. Like, I can't make sense of it. I just can't. It's so fucking stupid to me. Let's say you got A plus, A plus, A plus, and you applied to Cambridge. You want to lift your family out of poverty. You are the legacy. You are the genius. And you've worked hard. You got a conditional offer to Cambridge. Then Gavin Williamson comes along. Um, the secretary of education, and he, I mean, appointed for arbitrary reasons that I'll never understand. He says, oh, actually, and your grade all of a sudden becomes like a B, B, C. Cambridge declines your offer and says, no, actually, your grades are too low. You no longer are welcome in this program. These students, this happened across the nation, and you know what it's like to be a teenager, most of you. Everything is heightened anyway. And every day, 
means forever at that point and you catastrophize and you think, well, this is the end for me. This is the end of my life. There were suicidal kids in this country because of this. And then the government gave their head a shake and they were like, oh shit. All right. And they've reversed it somehow now. So these kids are going to be fine. But I mean, genuinely, I'm Googling it again to see if I can understand. Okay. So of 700,000 A-levels taken this year, only 2,000 failed which is 0.3%. But under the algorithm, 1.8% failed. And that means like 13,000. What is this fucking algorithm? Isn't it enough that you took away these kids' ability to travel and work freely throughout Europe? So last year, before all the rules changed and people were locked down, 2.5% were failed. Okay, and then they have a number that they want to fail. Why? So this is the government trying to moderate grades to keep them in line with the proportion of what grades were awarded last year or in the last decade. And what's the problem? You don't want too many people doing well because it's more difficult for universities and employers if everyone does well? Oh yeah, because that's what I want to avoid. Who wants to live in a society of educated people who get opportunities post-secondary school? You know what you need to do? You need to implement the Sarnia strategy. So where I came from, a lot of girls just married their high school boyfriend and got pregnant right out the gate. And they could do that because houses were affordable. You could move into a lovely detached family home, age 19, get loads of things for the house on your wedding registry, and you could just pump out six kids. And we didn't have high ambitions, a lot of us. Plenty of jobs in the petrochemical plant, at the gas station, the local Sunripe. But then guess what happens? You've hit all your achievements by age 26, and then you're spinning your wheels for the rest of your life. So, you know, that's fine with some people. They just want to relax and go to the cottage. We call it cottaging, but we're not allowed to call it here. I don't know why a government would discourage a nation of young people who are ambitious, who want to better their lives. Yes, it puts universities in a difficult position. What's wrong, universities? Are you getting too much money? Too many people are paying you tuition? Just get a bigger fucking university. Or like some people could get good grades like I did and just not go to university. I mean, I did go, but I didn't end up using it. And the only reason that I felt compelled to apply was not because I wanted to be an urban and regional city planner, but it's just because that's what everyone did. So what happened to apprenticeships? Can you get excellent A-levels and go into a jewelry apprenticeship or electrician apprenticeship or something in the arts? There is this expectation that university is the only way. And for a lot of jobs, it's not. But that doesn't mean you need to torpedo people's grades. There are certain things that I'm not smart enough to understand equally. There are certain things that I'm not dumb enough to understand. And I think this falls into the latter category. A-level students, I am so sorry about the week that you've had. I'm glad that it's restored. And hopefully it has taught you going forward that when all seems lost, you have to keep fighting because all is not lost. And you had an absolutely shit week and you'll have more shit weeks but they will always come to an end and there will be a new week and new opportunities. So I'm glad that there's a U-turn. So I've been talking about my Netflix sitcom, The Duchess, for a very long time because I've been working on it alongside 
other people for a very long time. It's very collaborative. Now the trailer is out. So if you Google my name in The Duchess, you can watch the trailer. If you go to your Netflix and put in The Duchess, you can watch the trailer and you can add it to your list. If you go on my social media, you can watch the trailer. People have been sharing this and I'm very grateful. My husband shared it on his Facebook and an elderly man commented, nothing funny about her. And other people said, oh, I I quite enjoy her. And the elderly man doubled down and he said, nope, her language is despicable. Please don't be cross with me, anyone, but I am old and I dislike her. And I looked up this man and guess what, bitch? We're now related through marriage. See you at Thanksgiving, motherfucker. This man has to understand that number one, he is tedious. And number two, I live to offend and anger people just like him. But it got me thinking about my own grandmother who never used her age as a crutch for being a terrible, judgmental human being. In fairness, my grandma didn't live to be super old. She died when she was 62. But it annoys me that I had this cool, baller grandma who was taken too soon, and then curmudgeonly fools live to be about 120. Why is that? Donald Trump has outlived my grandmother. Steve Bannon has outlived my grandmother. Harvey Weinstein has outlived my grandmother. Sleepy Joe Biden has outlived my grandmother. The list goes on. My grandma was called Dorothy Knight, and I think she was born in Montreal or Toronto, somewhere cool. And then marriage forced her to move to trash towns like Kitchener and then Sarnia. If there's one place worse than Sarnia in Ontario, it's Kitchener. Yes, I'm happy to piss off people from two brutal towns, and why not throw Hamilton in there just for fun? My grandma sold real estate. She drove a white Cadillac and wore red leather gloves. I would spend a lot of Friday nights at my grandma's house when my mom would let me sleep over. It gave me a reprieve from my little sisters. And finally, I could go somewhere and be treated like an adult. My grandma gave me creamsicles, Oreo cookies, and she would play cards with me. She never let me cheat. From the time I was two and three years old, I was playing gin rummy, euchre, backgammon, crazy eights. I had so much fun with my grandma. And she had little dogs, Gigi and Button. They were little by normal standards. They weren't little by my standards because I only like dogs the size of actual guinea pigs. Gigi and Button were these little bichons. And my grandma's greatest pleasure was to tear up beef jerky treats and give the dogs a treat one at a time. And when the grandchildren would come over, we would also have the great honor of giving the little dogs treats. And every time I do the same thing at home now, I see myself in my little wizened pale hands and my beautifully manicured nails, just like my grandma's. And I see myself tearing up the little dog treats and handing them gently to my dogs and they take it right from your hand and then they run away with their treat because they're so pleased with themselves. Oh, and one of my dogs actually rolls in his treats because he wants to smell the beef cologne all over himself. I'm a lot like my grandma in many ways and I just wish that she were around because you don't have to be a shit old person. Danny DeVito marches in the gay pride parades. Jane Fonda is 82 years old and still an activist. My grandma put up with a lot of shit in her life, and here's the lesson that I took away from Dorothy Knight's life and death. Do not 
be the woman who spends your time at home wringing your hands over a man who's out in the world drinking whiskey and fucking his secretary because you are worth too much. Those men will never die. You will never get a chance to be alone. You will not outlive them. They're not worried about you. They're not stressed. You are at home festering in autoimmune diseases when you should be living your best life. Too many women worry themselves into the ground. They did it then, but they continue to do it today. And I'm telling you, the biggest thing in your life that is most likely to kill you is stress. Sure, you can fall off a horse and get struck by lightning, but stress promises to eat away at your health until you are gone. My grandma would eat gluten. She's one of the only people that I allow in my life who eat gluten. Everyone knows how I feel about that. And I think it probably didn't agree with her. I have systemic lupus, which isn't actually a big problem for me, but I sort of believe that my grandma had it too and was undiagnosed. There have not been many advancements in lupus research. Is that because 90% of people who have it are ethnic women? No, it's probably just a coincidence. But if you have an autoimmune disease, you really do have to be your own advocate and keep it under control the best that you can. There are medications that will help you. But if you want to hear more about it, refer to my Spleen podcast where I speak to Verona Rose about the autoimmune protocol diet. My grandma did have breast cancer, but that is not how she lost her life. That was diagnosed and that was treated. And then in the surgery, you might not know this. I didn't know this. They use staples to close surgical wounds sometimes. And when they asked my grandma about her list of allergies, she didn't think to put metal. My grandma is someone who could only wear very fine, pure gold jewelry, a lot like me. We're very fragile in this world. We have to be treated nicely. And so unfortunately, she did have these staples and that caused a post-operative infection that went undetected for a really long time. And then she just never felt well after that. She had problems with toxicity in her system, which is both a factual diagnosis and a powerful metaphor. And my grandma at that time, so that would have been the 90s, made the mistake of going to the doctor very well turned out. She turned up to the doctor in a beautiful outfit with her hair done, makeup on, and looked very well. Sometimes there's a real problem with people who are able to wear a mask and compartmentalize and present themselves well. Because I'm sure they were doing their best, but the doctors were like, nah, you're fine. You look fine. So I do think negligence played a big role. And then she had just further complications from all this toxicity and ultimately was admitted to the hospital and then sadly had a heart attack. And I think she was 62. She might have been as old as 63, which guys is young. You might feel like that's old if you're 16 listening to the podcast, but it is not old. J-Lo is 62. No, J-Lo's not 62. But Michelle Pfeiffer is 62. Sharon Stone is 62. French and Saunders. Angela Bassett. Alec Baldwin. Peter Capaldi. Kevin Bacon. So don't tell me 62 is old. My grandma is the dog's bollocks. And I feel her presence in my life every day. So I do think I am dragging her spirit around, making her do all the fun things that I'm doing. And I really hope that she enjoys them. And I'm still very good at cards. Did my grandma drink? Uh, yeah, of course she did, but I never actually saw her drunk. 
She was just the absolute coolest. And so when I see these carcasses walking around, slagging people off because they can, and yeah, I know I'm supposed to be nice to old people, but there are really, really good older people who didn't get to live their lives and we lost them and we miss them because, you know, you're giving them a shit name with your behavior. So lock it up before I see your ass at Christmas. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Let's see what's in the emails today. Ah, this is from a 16-year-old. Love it. She likes my podcast. Okay. Catherine, I'm an incredibly romantic person. Romantic films and shows, scenes even, are my favorite. Well, you will like The Duchess, because there's some forced romance in there, including a sex scene that is going to haunt me the rest of my life, and you will never see me being in another sex scene again. But I try to be romantic. I mean, I don't know if it's a romantic sex scene. Anyway, I digress. I know I don't need a man in my life to succeed, having just got straight A's in my higher exams. Congratulations. Well, wait a minute. Is this even after the government business? Did your grades dip and then go back? Or do you go to a private school and your grades went up? I need a follow-up email, please. But having my heart pour over these shows and things emphasizes how much I'd like to have a romantic relationship. I'm not a very actively social person and I don't speak to many guys. Great start. How do I know if my feelings for a guy are wanting to be friends with him or romantic? Oh, well, that's the same way that you know whether your feelings for a girl are just friends or romantic. You certainly know when feelings are romantic. And you have to watch out because when you're 16, your idiot biology, and I say that with all due respect because I also had 16-year-old idiot biology, and every month I go in and out of different phases of idiot biology, and sometimes it's very hard to override. Uh, when you're 16, your biology might be saying to you, oh, we can make babies pretty soon and you need to lock one of these men down so that he can go hunting in the forest and bring home some meat back to the hut for you and your baby. Um, you will know when you are attracted to someone. You certainly don't need to figure that out intellectually. All you need your intellect for is to make sure you're making powerful, empowered choices before physically becoming romantic or attaching yourself emotionally to this person. Make sure that he also is a very good person. Okay. I only have ever been sure I have feelings for one person and I was sure I was in love with him. We barely spoke and only really saw each other at family barbecues. Honey, 
that doorbell means you're not in love with your cousin. <laughs> oh, our families are friends since primary. Oh, okay. It was hard having to suppress those feelings and I'm not even sure I'm over him. Oh my gosh, young love. Yeah, those are strong feelings. And you know what? I wouldn't throw them aside anymore because I felt that way about my now husband, Bobby Kutstra. I really, really, really instantly loved him when I was 16. But I think before him, I had a long distance crush on someone. And I think you might not know the difference between love and a crush until you know, you know, your life only makes sense when you play it in reverse. I had a crush on this boy and I never kissed him or anything. He was never, ever my boyfriend. I just thought I loved him, but there were qualities that I admired about him. I think he's a drug addict now or he's dead. But the last I heard, he was working at a carnival operating the Ferris wheel. So my feelings for Bobby though, where like we actually were girlfriend and boyfriend were so real and I really loved him. And then I didn't really feel that I fully got over him and I was right. And I ended up marrying him, but we did need a 20 year break. So 16 year olds can absolutely be correct in their compass for love. Well, I think I would just keep looking because if he is right for you, he will come back around in some mystical, magical, spiritual way. Socially, I'm a freaking mess. I have major FOMO, crippling FOMO, to the point that it makes me feel unwanted and seriously left out. So FOMO, if you don't know, is fear of missing out. And that can actually be very debilitating for people. I totally understand wanting to be everywhere. And when I was your age, it was so hard for me because I think I had FOMO too, but then sometimes I would get ready to go to a dance or to a party. Do kids have dances anymore? And uh, I remember one specific event I was really excited to go to, but I didn't feel pretty enough to leave the house. This was a constant theme for me. I was very confident, but sometimes it would get the better of me. I would falter and I would just cancel all my plans because I felt like I looked a mess and then I would stay home by myself. You know what? You're just going to have to ride it out. You are going to have FOMO for a little while. You are going to have crushes and fall in love for a little while. You just have to make sure that you pay attention to your body and your mind. And if a choice feels bad, then it probably is. And if a choice feels powerful, like it's going to get you to the next step in your life or be the right kind of fun, then it is the right choice. And these, these big picture ideas, I don't think you need to be having them. You just need to surround yourself with good friends. It's okay to miss out sometimes, but this romantic idea of the man of your dreams, if you watch romantic films and you like romantic books and things, then you know that a lot of people fall flat on their ass before they meet him and they have a lot of ups and downs. So don't go food shopping when you're hungry and don't go man shopping when you're thirsty. Thanks for your letter. Violet's just walked in. She is excited to go away for the weekend with her friend. Best friend. Oh, I'm your best friend. So, yes, your best friend and another friend and Bobby. My two best friends and uh, um, um, a human. Bobby's just a human. Well, that's a Bye. step He's up. my best friend. <laughs> that's a step up from when you first met him. Okay, Violet, we have another letter. First, how happy I was to see five more episodes of Tea telling everybody everything queued up. For some reason, I thought you'd finished back in July. I missed you while I was here. 
So today I'm referring to the episode where you mentioned your few elderly listeners and the emails were from 21-year-olds or younger. I got to wondering as I was running along, yes, running, whether at 48 I count as one of your elderly listeners. Do you think 48 is elderly, Violet? It's not that old, no. No, it's not. I thought I'd write and tell you how much even old people enjoy listening to your wise and hilarious words. You feel like a wonderful friend and have been such a great companion as I walk, run, or garden. At 48, I'm starting a new chapter as I separated from my husband after 25 years. I'm venturing on a new, interesting, and sometimes bewildering path. So I especially love your relationship advice. You made me realize that I can enjoy myself now and not waste my freedom. True. And I also love the idea of rejecting reluctance. Really useful on dating sites. If they're not super keen, I'm not interested. This may also be because I'm not ready yet, but that's a whole other letter. The other night, my 17-year-old daughter and some friends told me, unasked, that they sort of saw me as strong and powerful. I was so pleased. I'm very pleased for you. Same. So I thought I could return the favor being a little further on in the motherhood journey than you and give you a little advice. Your daughter sounds absolutely wonderful. Thank you. And you must be so proud of her. If she might not, if she does what my adorable 11-year-old did and turns into a despicable nightmare in two years' time, do not despair or wonder where you went wrong or grieve for your lost love like I did because she will come out the other side like my daughter did and be the most amazing friend and loveliest person you could ever hope for. I feel so lucky to have been in lockdown with my 17-year-old. If she turns, just number one, stay calm. Number two, don't take anything personally. Number three, know it will pass. I actually really like that advice because I don't want you to get hurt over something I accidentally said. Well, why don't you just not do this thing that the woman's saying? Yeah, you know? I know, but like it's difficult. How do you it's know? It's difficult. Like hormones, you can't really control them too much, too well. Sure, you can. You can well, ju- yeah, you can just say, "Oh, you know what? Let me take a minute in my room, gather myself, and say, Mom, I'm really sorry that I yeah, did.'" Yeah, but sometimes you don't do that. Oh God, do you feel that you're starting to get angry? I don't get angry, you know. Good. Well, maybe you won't. The only reason that I get a bit like, is when someone steals my phone charger. Yeah. Well, maybe I can't control my hormones either. And maybe if you get hormones that make you mean to me, then I might make some hormones that make me take all your stuff away until you're sleeping on a bare mattress. Well, if you have a teenager and they turn, this is very good advice. All right. Thank you again. Also, please thank Pam. Does she know she's counseling the nation? Yes, I think Pam does. I always tell her, but I don't think she has time to listen to the podcast. Ooh, here's one from a 16-year-old, Violet. Catherine, I just turned 16, and I pretty much have no friends. Over the past couple of years, I've been recovering from anorexia, and this has made my social circle incredibly small. I find it hard to spend time with others, especially when it involves food and drinking, and it usually does. I was hospitalized last year, and all my friends stopped talking to me and didn't even text me during that time. Am I being a dick for expecting them to support me through something that's hard and really none of their problem? I feel pathetic and lonely. What should I do? Well, here's actually pretty good advice. If they don't support you when you're, like, feeling, like, really bad, then they're not proper friends. Mm. Because if they're good friends, then they should support you no matter what, no matter what you're going through. But if they're not, then I don't think they're real friends. Or they might be real friends, just not very mature yet, because I think it's difficult even for adults to face 
any type of trauma head on. And I have even seen, you know, for example, maybe a woman is really, really sad from her divorce. Well, I was watching this Netflix series lately. It's Dirty John, but series two, it's about a woman called Betty Broderick who murders her ex-husband and his new wife. And she's sort of slightly justified in doing that um, because of all the emotional abuse. And he took everything away from her, including her children. And when you have nothing to lose, you got nothing to lose. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, her friends started pulling away from her because she was going uh, very mentally loopy over the abuse that he was inflicting upon her. And she was always, always talking about this husband. And she wasn't well. And I think a lot of her girlfriends moved away from her, even though they tried to be good friends, but they didn't have the tools to deal with her trauma, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's very difficult to expect 16-year-olds to have the tool. You included. It's so difficult uh, to know how to deal with big, big problems, and that's why you need hospitalization and professionals and, and different help. But I hope that you had friends who tried to support you. What do you think that you would do if you had a friend who was mentally very sick? I'd honestly help them. Like, I'd visit them no word of a lie. I'd visit them in the hospital every day and make sure they're okay. I'll call them every day. Like, like I'll be really supportive. Yeah. Well, you're very strange. <laughs> I think the word is lovely. You're lovely, yes. So are you being a dick? No, you're not being a dick. And I understand how you feel abandoned. And I'm happy that you have so much support. There's also a really good charity called Beat. And I've done events for them. And I've read a lot about their work. And that is a great eating disorder charity. And I hope you feel better. And I'm sorry if your friends are incapable of supporting you the way they should. But feeling pathetic and lonely will not last forever. I promise you that. Thank you for your letter. Here's another relationship email for me. Someone who's been in a long line of terrible, terrible relationships and then one good one. Catherine, I have a dilemma. Hmm. Background info. I met my boyfriend five years ago online. We started a long distance relationship. After a year, he moved back to his family estate near me. Family estate? Estate in this country either means two things. Like you guys have a council estate, which is like a government subsidized housing, or you have a state, like a massive sprawling castle with stables. Which is it? We have lived together the past three years and have been happy together. We trust each other completely and are open, so we often use each other's phones. We have only ever had one hiccup between us, and that is two years ago he appeared to change his mind on marriage. I see marriage as a step into commitment, confirming that you want to try to build a life with that one other person through the highs and lows that are thrown your way. He now says he sees it as some sort of end to his manhood and will often tell me how his friends who are married didn't want to be. He says he wants it one day. He just doesn't know when. Girl. I spoke to a very smart woman the other day about having children I cannot stress enough that not every woman has to have children or can have children or needs children to complete her life. It is not the be-all and end-all. However, this woman said to me, infertility is a problem of male immaturity, not of female maturity. And that means there are these men, the Borises and the Bernies of the world, dragging their fucking heels along and keeping you interested until you both turn 40 
and then they bounce and have all this time to start again with a 20 year old. And there you are. And this sounds like a very old fashioned warning because I don't know, you could have a child alone at 40. You could meet someone else and have a child at 44. I mean, these things are very, very common, or you could live your life alone and live in a very tidy palace with little dogs. You could do anything you like, but it is bullshit. And I spoke about reluctance in the past when it comes to relationships and how old are you guys? I'm just going to skim. Yeah, you're 30. So this bullshit of, oh, I don't really know. It's the end of my manhood. He can go take his manhood into his own bachelor pad, shower, and get out of your life. I don't like it. My concern is there's a girl in his past. Well, yeah. He rarely talks about her, so I know nothing about her apart from the fact that she lives in some sort of secure housing with a severe eating disorder. Every now and again, she'll message, and every time she messages him, my gut screams at me that something is wrong. Since lockdown, they've started to message, and I get physically upset, da-da-da-da, dreams about her. Okay, no. So this has nothing to do with this girl and these messages, and it has everything to do with the two of you and your relationship having an unsound foundation. He has brought uncertainty and unsteadiness into your relationship with this shit about not being ready for marriage, and you need to get rid of him. I love him to pieces. I feel lucky to have found and connected with someone like him. I turned 30 this year, so it's playing on my mind that I've passed my prime and I haven't made him content enough by now. Oh, God. I haven't made him content enough by now. How will I ever be able to when it's only downhill from here? Who? What? You are someone who likes me and knows what I'm about and listens to my podcast, and you have the fucking audacity to have this level of disrespect for yourself? Have a gin and tonic. Sit in the garden and look at the fucking sky because this is bullshit. His contentment is not your responsibility. You are nowhere near past your prime. You are just entering the prime of your life and you have the world at your fingertips. If there is an irritant in your life who's making you feel less than cherished, then you must remove him. You think he's wonderful. You think you love him. I am sorry, dear. You're wrong. Thanks for your email. Here's another. Hi, Catherine. Love your podcast. My friend is an amazing doctor who now lectures at Bristol Uni. Along with his students, he is doing research into signs and symptoms of illness in people who aren't white. It hasn't been taught in medical school as most teaching is on how symptoms present on white skin. Oh, I have learned about this. I think I saw him in the news, actually. They're working to change the whole curriculum, which has always been done on white patients. He and his colleagues are now receiving online abuse. Why? It's sad to see, although it doesn't really surprise me. Can you share some support for Joe and his students? Um, wait a minute. Well, I don't really understand what kind of online abuse he's getting. Is he getting online abuse from the non-white community who feel like, wait a minute, don't be testing your stuff on us? Or he's getting abuse from white people. I don't understand. Okay, wait, here's the BBC article about it. A major British medical school is leading the drive to eliminate what it calls inherent racism in the way doctors are trained in the UK. Great. 
It comes after students pushed for reform, saying gaps in their training left them ill-prepared to treat ethnic minority patients, potentially compromising patient safety. Yes, because I always hear that black babies are more likely to be ill under a white doctor's care. And I have to think, well, no doctor is purposely ever, ever going to harm a baby. But maybe this does have to do with limits to education that was previously available. I know that black mothers have a greater chance of being harmed in childbirth than white mothers and so on. So I don't think that any of that is malicious, but here's probably the root of some of it, right? Hundreds of other UK medical students have signed petitions demanding teaching that better reflects the diversity of the country. A number of diseases manifest differently depending on skin tone, but too little attention is given to this training, according to Dr. Joseph Hartland, who's helping to lead the changes at the Bristol Medical School. Hmm, historically medical education was designed and written by white middle-class men, and so there is an inherent racism in medicine that means it exists to serve white patients above all others. When patients are short of breath, for example, students are often taught to look out for a constellation of signs, including a blue tinge to the lips or fingertips to help judge how severely ill someone is. But these signs can look different on darker skin. Essentially, we're teaching students how to recognize a life or death clinical sign largely in white people and not acknowledging these differences may be dangerous. All right. Well, yes, obviously I support this. Thank you so much for bringing it to my attention. And if you are someone who wants to troll a doctor, I'm honestly confused about what the trolling is. Don't even tell me it's like elderly white people who are disputing the decolonization of medical training. God, of course, this is something that I support. If you haven't read about this, check it out. Dear Catherine, I missed a few episodes of the podcast. I'm now making an effort to catch up. I listened to your episode about Ellen, religion, and prayer. And when you mentioned that you thought people should complete tasks before getting married, I thought you might find some of our South African traditions interesting. In many of my country's cultures, there's a process of iobola, e, or is that an L? E, iobo, lobola, or iobola. We have 11 official languages, so the word varies across them. Well, good, because I just said it 11 ways. Basically, it involves the groom entering into discussions with the family of the bride, and in essence, pays unto them something for their daughter, usually livestock. I'm not exactly sure of the specifics as my culture doesn't practice this, but I do know that if abuse occurs in any manner in the marriage, then the man then forfeits both his wife and the iobola. I'm an Afrikaner, and while I don't have iobola as such, previous generations used to have things called trousseau chests. These chests were filled with linens, crockery, and various homewares starting during an African's girl's early life. If she then got married later on, this chest would sort of serve as a dowry and as a way to help the couple furnish their home. I'm sure South Africa has many more of these traditions, but I'm not well-versed. Oh, that is so cool. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I really do think many efforts should be undertaken before people get married because you've just got people getting hitched in Vegas these days. They don't put much thought into it and their parents aren't consulted and If you're an adult, you can make the decision that you like, but I do like, nay, love the idea that the elders in your community have some sort of say, not the whole control, but some sort of say, because they do love you and they are not being tricked or dickmatized by your husband because they don't fancy him like you do. And you got to keep a clear head. Thank you for these traditions. 
Ooh, here's an Am I the Asshole? Stupid, sexy, baby song. Oh, <laughs> sexist. Am I the Asshole? Stupid, sexist, baby song. Well, that's a relief. All right. This email looks interesting. Catherine, I recently attended a baby sensory class with my six-month-old daughter. If you're not familiar, basically, it's I am familiar. It's a class where babies are exposed to different kinds of sensory play, music, bubbles, different textures, puppets, clappy songs, etc. It's a reasonably expensive activity, but quite fun, and my babies seem to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, that is a slog when you have a baby going to like baby sign language, baby yoga, baby massage, baby play. It does break up the day, and I used to find those classes quite soothing myself. We had a really fun one called Monkey Music, and uh, the kids do love it. They like looking at other babies even and shaking a rattle. It's a fun place to go. However, oh, however, I took issue with a song played near the beginning of the class about horse riding. The woman taking the class explained that we should put the children on our knees and bounce them along with the song. When the song says, this is the way the ladies ride, we should bounce the children slowly like clip. When the song says, this is the way the gentlemen ride, we should bounce the children high and fast and clippity-clop, clippity-clop, and so on. Oh my gosh, I was stunned. Were we teaching our sweet little babies that ladies should ride their horses carefully and slowly while men should ride fast and brave? I whispered to my daughter that she can ride as fast as she likes, and I left it there. But I simmered on it for a few days. (laughs) Isn't it so much fun to be a new mom? You're like, you've got a little bit of time while you're walking, pushing the pram or doing something you do as a new parent have to put your usual routines on hold a little bit. And then you find yourself like absolutely fuming in a waitrose over a fucking clippity clop song. I've been there. We've all been there. I couldn't let it go. (laughs) I couldn't let it go without bringing it to the attention of the woman leading the class. I wrote her this email. You are so funny, mom. Mom? My mom was the letter writer of Sarnia. I'm proud of you. Okay. Dear blank, we came to the class on Wednesday at 1045 and I really enjoyed it. So I've been umming and awing over whether to email you. I've ultimately decided to email you. I was very surprised to hear the song about how the ladies, men, and farmers ride their horses. We used to sing that song more than 10 years ago when I taught a similar gymnastics class for babies, and while the song may seem benign, it actually reinforces very outdated stereotypes about how ladies and gentlemen should do things. Good for you. Even though it seems innocuous, it goes to show that even from a very young age, we are conditioning children to believe that women should be small, polite, quiet, patient, and that men should be brave, strong, fast, and agile. I believe it's more important than ever to be modeling and reinforcing whatever we can, that women are strong, fierce, brave, and powerful, and that men could and should be soft, gentle, kind, calm, and patient. As a mother of a daughter, it is certainly important to me. You clearly do such a wonderful job of putting together an interesting, fun, and stimulating class for the babies, which was enjoyable for parents too, so I just thought I'd flag in case it hadn't crossed your mind. Looking forward to the class on Wednesday. I like that thread at the end. (laughs) Looking forward to the class on Wednesday, Louise. We'll see what songs you play. I hope she plays WAP for the kids, you know? And that is a good song to bounce on your knee too. Yeah, macaroni in a pot. That's a wop. All right. Even if she disagrees with me, a response is appropriate. Am I the asshole? She's not going to disagree with you. Look, 
We need some new baby songs and stat because all the other ones are either about the plague, what the fuck is the one where the cradle falls out of a tree, and a lot of them have very racist connotations as well. And then you are absolutely right about this song. It seems innocuous. Six-month-olds might obviously not be soaking it in as much as you or I would, but it does leave an imprint. And, you know... Yeah, it's a simple thing to do to change the song. I don't think this woman's going to take it personally because you've written it in a nice English way. You've been very complimentary and like, hey, I'm not sure if you noticed or not that your terribly sexist music is affecting my little girl. I think as a protest on Wednesday, if she hasn't taken the song out of the set list, then you just clippity fucking clop the shit out of that song. This is the way the ladies ride. I think you should take your bra off. Just gallop around that room completely topless. This is the way the ladies ride. Bring a bottle of white wine while you're at it. You know, just fuck the patriarchy right in that class. And I assume there are some dads at this baby class. When I was raising Violet and Crouch and there were always maybe one or two dads there. So this is 10 years on. I mean, there should be up to three or four dads there. And uh, just really let her have it. I think you're a genius. I think your daughter is very lucky to have a wonderful mother at the helm of her young life. And I think you did exactly what I would have done. So well done. And try not to get arrested on Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. You wouldn't believe how many social media messages I get that say, Catherine, you didn't mention the email. Yes, I did. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com you can ask me anything you like it doesn't have to be relationship problems it doesn't have to be heavy i just want to hear from you and i appreciate when you write me i'll see you next week When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.